As you may know, we like to acknowledge anyone that donates $50 or more to Adventure Rider Radio on this show, ARR Raw, because that's how we built the show. We built it on a model of donations and advertising to make the whole thing work. So this past month, we've had some very generous listeners. And hey, we appreciate everyone that donates. We really do. But the names that I have here that have really helped out this month with their $50 or more donations. So special thanks to Jeff Stipulak, Steve Lawrence, Gabrielli Giudici, Stephen Howard and David Lynn. Thank you all. So, is anyone not ready to start? Oh, we're as ready as we'll ever be down here. Let's do it. Yep, well, I'll cover it. Yep, me too. Good. Graham. It's Graham's whiskey bottle. Who said, who said start? <laughs> oh, start drinking, right? <laughs> From the Canoe West Media Studio on the shores of Vancouver Island, British Columbia, Canada, it's February 2017, and welcome to Adventure Rider Radio Raw, roundtable discussions about motorcycles, travel, and anything else that crosses our mind. Completely unscripted, raw, and personal. I'm Jim Martin, and today at the virtual roundtable, afforded through the magic of the internet, I'm joined by our regular five Overland co-hosts, starting at the top, not necessarily at the top, I shouldn't have said that, I didn't mean the top, I mean starting at the first person on my list, Shirley and Brian from Australia, Shirley Hardy Ricks, Brian Ricks, good morning. Good morning from down under, but still on top. If you yeah, hey, well done. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Brian. So, Estra- right now you're you're experiencing some real heat wave or something. I, w- I heard. Well, it's actually only ten degrees now, but it's going to be in the thirties again today, and it's a total fire ban day today. And over the weekend, the temperatures were in the mid to high forties. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. mid to high forties. And uh, a friend of mine sent me a photo of a police car out on the Simpson Desert. The the uh, member was out there with a, uh, a a frying pan. He put it on the bonnet of his car and fried an egg. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Excellent. Wild. Hey Brian, what what's the deal now? You've become a, a writer. You're sort of a full time contributor to a magazine. Yeah, I've, I've um, picked up a gig uh, writing for Australian uh, Road Rider magazine and. Um, talking about all things adventure motorcycling and uh, getting a few test bikes as well, which is a bit of fun. So, uh, yeah, it's been great. And uh, I hope hope it continues for a little bit longer. We also have Grant Johnson. Now, Grant is also sort of on the road. Where are you, Panama City? I'm in Panama City right now. We're here in Panama for a month. A month? Wow. A month, yeah. Is this a vacation? It's a break for us. Um, well, we think we got four days vacation planned. The rest of it is just checking things out. We're actually thinking about moving to Panama. Ooh, wow. Wow. Yeah. No snow in Panama, Grant. No snow in Panama. We, (laughs) everybody's heard about all the snow in Abbotsford, which is where we currently are living. And there's been multiple feet of snow and digging and constantly digging the driveway out and, it's been a major, major snow year for Abbotsford, breaking all kinds getting, of records. You're getting pretty close to uh, the area of Columbia marching powder, aren't you? There's a bit of snow down there. Well. <laughs> you mean sorry. to say in, instead of shoveling the snow in Abbotsford, you took off to Panama City? Well, we're in Panama City for a couple of days. That's it. And then we're out of here. We're heading west, which is 
most people think of Panama as being north to south, but it's not. It's mostly east-west. And we're heading west and a bit of north, and we'll be checking out some dive places and a couple of places that sound interesting to live. There's Santa Fe is interesting. Boquete is interesting. There's a few other places. So we'll be having a really good look around to see, would we really want to live here? Last time we were here in Panama was 1987. And things have changed a whole lot. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I imagine they you, would have. Grant, you're going to be in a, a, a brilliant crossroads for overlanders. Uh, we are very well aware of that. Yeah, I'll bet. <laughs> wow, fantastic. Well, I Just announce- remember that the three days, the bucket of prawns in the sun, Grant, don't let yeah. them stay too long. <laughs> Oh, you can bet I've got that figured out. (laughs) Uh, There's something else to think about, too, is that we've always had this concept of what we call the HURL, the Horizons Unlimited Retirement Lodge. Someday, all of us are going to retire and live somewhere cheap. At the big HURL. So we'll have a HURL at the big HURL and maybe in Panama. We'll see. Hey, we could could race wheelchairs. Yes, we can. Wheelchair races. Do you know the best part? We'll all be able to tell each other our stories every single day because we're all forgotten. <laughs> Moving on. I, what the, I, think, have... Grant, I think, Grant, you found a daring gap in the market. <laughs> uh, uh, and it spins downward. Uh, Moving on down our list, Sam Manicom is in the UK, I think. Good evening, Sam. Yes, I am indeed. Good evening, everybody. Um, I am in the wonderful old university city of Cambridge, and I've been here for about a week and a half, and it's a lovely place to be working for a while. Super. What are you doing there? Um, I am working in the Kite Recording Studio, and we're recording my fourth audiobook at the moment. Zipping all the way across to Bulgaria, we have Graham Field, who is up an hour earlier. No, sorry, staying awake an hour earlier for this show. Graham. Not going to bed an hour later. <laughs> well, we'll see, yeah. won't we? <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. You're dead right. I'm definitely up an hour earlier. <laughs> now, anyone who, who follows you, Graham, and, and sees what you're doing has noticed that you sort of dropped off the, the planet as far as social media goes for the last little while. Where'd you go? Uh, I, I'm here in my own idyllic little world, where the, and the rest of the world is not idyllic. It distresses me, and it brings me down, and it distracts me from my wonderful days, and I don't want to be a part of it anymore. So I'm sitting here in my wonderful little heaven with my beautiful views in my lovely valley, with my little villages and my personal stuff that goes wrong around me, and I'm not concerned with Facebook and all the stuff which I can't control and I can't change and I don't like, and it's been liberating. Does it, I bet it's taken a lot, though, hasn't it? No, it hasn't. It hasn't? It's amazing. No, it's amazing. I just, when I clicked on my Google, uh, whatever it is, you know, thing, search engine, when I open up the computer, <laughs> three windows open, uh, Hotmail, my Yahoo, and me, and me Facebook. And Facebook doesn't open now. So I just look at my emails check the exchange rate, look my eBay watch list, and then go on with my day. It's wonderful. It, the t- I got a thing uh, a while ago on Facebook saying, congratulations, you've been on Facebook for nine years. I thought, my God, how much of my life have I wasted in those nine years? <laughs> Scrolling through pictures of puppies and babies and other stuff I'm not interested in, when I could be looking at cats and motorbikes. So, um, I, no, it's, it's been really liberating. And I just said it will be for a month, and I'm exactly halfway through that month or today on Valentine's Day. 
And uh, I'll, I, I'll probably come back, but it's, it's really, I recommend to anybody to take a break now and again. I met, I met a girl at a, a Little Horizons Unlimited show last summer, and she does a thing every weekend. She calls computer hygiene and stays off of social media every weekend. And that's what planted the seeds. And I've done it three times since then. And it's, it's a wonderful thing to go back to the real world. I, I recommend it. That's a good idea. I miss seeing you and your cats, Graham. So, so road hazards we were going to talk about, particularly in other countries, you know, dealing with road hazards. And I know you guys all have experience with road hazards. Um, Graham, why don't we start with you? Oh, me. Okay. You want to start with me? Okay. So you want to start low and go high. Okay. That's good. Um, <laughs> road hazards. Well, yeah, dealing okay. with them, you know, and, and what sort of road hazards. I, I was sort of looking for, an, uh, uh, you know, some sort of story you had of dealing with road hazards. Okay. Well, part of what? Cars, people, trucks, dogs. Uh, no, the little thing I had um, was uh, in Mexico. It also continues south to Guatemala. It might go further. I haven't been further south than Guatemala. And they have these speed bumps, uh, sleeping policemen. They call them topes, topeses, something like that. Topes. Tope, yeah. What's, what's the, what they, what's, when there's more than one, topes is... is topes. <laughs> topes is, is, yeah, anyway, because there are definitely more than one. And, and the thing is with them, they're in every, every town, and, and like any speed bump, they're to slow you down, contradictory to what the name implies. And uh, they, the thing is, you don't, they're not always marked, and they're right between about second and third gear. So you slow down for your first one, and then you're just going up through the gear range again, and then there's another one. And they're quite often in the shade. You don't see them. They're in shadow. And as someone pointed out to me, if it was your job to build a speed bump in Mexico, would you build it in the blazing sun or in the shade of a tree? <laughs> and They're not asked, that dumb. <laughs> yeah. They can be buggers. I mean, uh, at best, you're just going to bottom out your forks. But... I've seen people really come to grief on them. And you know they're going to be there. There's signs saying they're going to be there. You know there's going to be several of them as you pass through the towns and villages. But because they're in the shade, I mean, maybe it's an attention span thing. Maybe it's a heat thing or, or just a general distraction of the smells of the food or the sights around you. But don't, I, I defy anybody to get through Mexico without pounding their bike on a topes or topeses <laughs> but um that's a, that's certainly a, a central american hazard i mean uh, th th i could go on and on but i'm sure everybody else has got some if they don't mention the other ones i've got then maybe i'll come back to it but my one would be the the mexican topos topaz uh, i i couldn't agree more with you you know i nearly wiped nearly trashed my bike the first day we were in mexico i hit one and it was 10 steep inches high. And um, I was really, really lucky to stay on. I've been completely unmarked, no signs. Um, some of them have got this sort of um, orange paint striped across them, haven't they? But most of them just don't. And I walloped this. And my goodness, it, I paid the price for it over the next coming months. But my favorite place in Mexico, and I can't remember the name of the town because it's really not my favorite place, there were 125 of these topes, one after the other, and I didn't manage to get out of second gear. 125. And a lot of them had cobbles in between. 
It was like off-roading, unpredictably, really unpredictably, not funny. One little tip on topes you'll find if you're driving, approaching a town and you see some people standing at the side of the road who might be marketers or sellers or something, guess what? There's a tope there because you have to slow down and that's their chance to run up to your window and try and sell you something. You'll see that in South America and, so, and in uh, South Africa too. We had some really nasty topes in South Africa. Coming around a corner at about 40 or 50 miles an hour approaching a town and there's the tope all right. But it's unmarked and it's you're leaned over when you hit it. That's really scary. Graham, were you going to say something? Uh, just uh, in general, I mean, saying about, you know, when because we, you know, cars don't leak oil and, and what have you, that is the problem about coming from a sterilized Western country. And you suddenly find yourself in a, in a slightly poorer country, is it, uh, most accidents are caused. By assumption, assumption that the other driver will obey the road, road rules, that the road <laughs> is going to be smooth. And it's that assumption that is causing it. And it, it, it doesn't take very long before you, you start to ride on your wits, which is why, you know, in a lot of sort of third world countries, they just drive on their horn the hard, hard, whole time. And don't assume when you overtake someone that they're looking in their mirrors, they're expecting that horn. And it's not a sign of, ah, get out my way. It's, I'm here. Because they expect that, you know, you see the signs on the back of the truck saying horn, please. That doesn't mean they're in the market for a horn. That means, you know, make yourself known to them because we're not actually not looking. We're the only the only indication we're going to have of you being here is an audible one because we're not looking for you. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. classic for India, isn't it? And I think one of the best bits of equipment you can put on your bike if you're going to go traveling in India is a sort of size horn. Um, yeah. because then you re and, and something that none of the local vehicles use so that the sound of your horn stands out as being something completely different and then people do take notice of it. Yeah, don't yeah. buy a horn locally because it's going to be just like everybody else's. We found yep. that in Egypt too. If you, didn't, if you weren't on your horn constantly, you're invisible. They literally drive by ears. I'm sure they aren't looking at all. They're just <laughs> listening. But yeah. tell you what, Burger We did, has we did never... that, didn't we, Shirley? We yeah. put an extra horn in the bike yeah. in India, for India. Yeah. Good idea. A burger has never lost the habit of using her horn, and I tell you what, English drivers are totally confused by her when she's driving. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the deal then? How, how are you going to prepare for this if you're, you're headed off on some sort of adventure? How do you prepare for the, the, uh, the things that you can't prepare for? In other words, uh, the oil on the road and the potholes and, and all the other things. Simple, simple. Engage your brain. That's what you have to do. Just engage your brain. Yeah, I, I think, think that's probably the best advice of all, for sure. I think slipping on the oil, hitting a speed bump, and going down a pothole are three very good things to make you aware as well. Don't wake up fast. Graham's balls in potholes, and actually they're one of my favourite hazards. Um, I know it sounds probably a pretty weird thing to say, but um, you know, in, in many um, developing world countries, the, the asphalt is so thin you know, they sort of spray this stuff on and perhaps it's only an inch and an inch and a half t um, deep. So you get loads and loads of potholes, but these things tend to stay fairly shallow. And I, I kind of used to find those fun because it was a bit like um, two-wheel slalom. And um, you, you just sort of get this real adrenaline buzz, well, I do anyway. I suppose it brings out the, um, the dormant fighter pilot instinct in me. And I sort of play with these things as if they're sort of space invaders, but I'm doing it live. But in some countries where the asphalt is really properly laid, um, they can be very scary, can't they? Because they can be sort of four or five inches deep. The asphalt can be really hard edged. 
I had an instance in um, the mountains, in the Chimani Mani Mountains in Zimbabwe. And I was just cruising along and enjoying the view. And it's beautiful scenery. And, um, yeah, well, went round the corner and oh, I just didn't see the pothole quickly enough. And I walloped into this thing really, really hard. It nearly threw me off. I stayed on. And I thought, right, that's it. I've, I'm going to have trashed my rims. I'm going to have trashed the tyre. And I got off and I couldn't see any damage at all. I thought, wow, my guardian angel was certainly with me that time. And I spent the next, um, I suppose, five hours riding through the mountains, just on these twisty, curvy roads with sheer drops off down the side. And eventually I came back down out of the mountains and I pulled over into a, a little sort of lay-by by the side of the road to um, have a drink and check my map and things like that. And literally, just as I stopped the bike, the front wheel popped. <laughs> it literally did. I'd no sooner just literally, literally um, stopped and bang, the front wheel popped, the front tyre popped. And when I took it off, I found inside the tyre that the edge of the pothole had actually put a split on the inside of the tyre. And as right. I'd been riding, the inner tube was catching inside that split until that's, that split had sort of cut through the inner tube. How lucky was I? Mm. <laughs> yeah. The classic snake bite that you get when you, yeah. when you smack against something. Oh, yeah. You also, Sam, I, I remember you had one like that where you, I think you were overtaking a vehicle in a dusty environment and, and you had a bad <laughs> crash from, from a, a pothole. Yeah, that was a, that was a mega pothole. I was crossing um, the desert in Namibia and it was um, a, a dirt track. It was, um, it was white sand and gravel. And, you know, I'd, I'd never really ridden on this before, but logic said... If, if I set off first thing in the morning when the sun was down low, then I was going to see all of the different texture changes because the sun was going to be creating little shadows against them. And it was brilliant. I could see where the corrugations were. I could see where the, the, the soft sand was. I could see where the potholes were. But as the sun was getting higher in the sky, it was much, much harder to see those. Um, I mean, I was still I was plodding along and having a, a really nice time on this road. And there'd been loads of scare stories about it. But... Um, Things went badly wrong for me when a 4x4 overtook me. And normally on these remote tracks, the vehicles slow down and inevitably people stop and say, hello, how are you doing? And what's the road ahead like? And if they know each other, how's your family? That sort of stuff. It's a very sociable thing passing another vehicle. But this time, this guy just belted on past me. And the last thing I remember was being in a cloud of dust. And I woke up four days later in hospital with 17 bone fractures. Um, I was lucky enough to be found some hours afterwards. I was unconscious. And the people who found me, when I linked up with them later, told me that um, there was a meter-deep pothole in the road. And I just hadn't seen it. I'd just gone straight, nose first into it. It's just hugely unlucky. But, hey, um, yeah, guardian angel time. How can you prepare for that? As soon as you see a truck coming, you know, I think the important thing is that you need to be really aware that that sort of thing can happen and there's a truck coming up behind you and it's dusty, slow right down, pull over, give them room to get by. And if you can't see, stop. That's You're the number absolutely one mistake right, Grant. You know, with hindsight, I mean, I, I just did this very rare glance in, um, in my mirror and I saw this tiny little black dot underneath um, a big cone of dust. With hindsight, that big cone of dust would have said to me, this guy is going really fast and he's not going to stop. And I should have just pulled over to the side of the road, stopped and let him go past and let the dust settle. But yeah. that was the first time I'd encountered something like that. My preconceived ideas was that he was going to slow down and probably even stop to say hello. 
Um, yeah, well, yeah, preconceived ideas, dangerous. Yeah. Also, you could think to yourself, well, why don't I pull over and give him a wave as he approaches? Yeah. That's another yeah, way absolutely. to think about it. But I see, I see that sort of thing all the time. Um, there's been a, there was, well, all this snow and we've had a lot of fog as well in Abbotsford. And there's been a whole lot of accidents. And I was out in the fog the other night. And the speed that people were driving in the fog, they couldn't possibly see what was ahead of them. They couldn't possibly stop in time. I mean, there could have been a 50-car pileup. And they, there's no way they could have stopped in time. They're driving beyond their vision. And that's one thing that you really, really have to learn not to do, especially in the third world. I mean, it's bad enough in the first world where people do it all the time on the highway and the fog and everything else. But if you can't see where you're going and there's a risk of potholes and all the rest of it, you just have to slow down. I mean, we're, we're, we tend not to. We tend to continue kind of at the speed we're going at. But it's, it could be fatal. I mean, you could have died in that condition easily. Yeah, I've been in situations where if I hadn't slowed down, I wouldn't be here today for sure. It's exactly that same, the same thing as um, the, the old overlander saying, never ride in the dark, isn't it? Because, yeah. You know, you've, you've turned one of your key senses right down to, to less than half power. And, well, that just affects everything that you're going to do, doesn't it? Mm. Um, don't ride after dark. Actually, I've got a couple of stories, but one about riding after dark. I remember coming around a road coming around a corner, and in South America, you, trucks break down, and they, they don't have much in the way of parking brakes, so people tend to put a rock behind the rear wheel to hold the car in place while they fix the truck, and this rock is just left there when they drive away. And also, there's mountains and hills, and rocks just roll down the hill and land on the road, and the crew that picks up those rocks comes by about every five years, okay? <laughs> so there's rocks on the road. So you get used to riding around rocks. Okay, rocks on the road is kind of normal. You just ride around them. So I came around this corner and I saw a few rocks on the road, but they were in a little bit of a line. And I looked and I looked again. Oh, something wrong here. And had another good look. The bridge was gone. This was a huge bridge and it was gone. The marking to tell me that the bridge was gone and where I should go was literally five rocks on the road, about football size. That's it. That's all there was. No big signs, no flashing lights, nothing. Here's this massive bridge, gone, five rocks on the road, warning you. Now, if I'd been riding at night, and by the end of the day, of course, you're tired, it's been a long day, your vision isn't as good, you see a couple of rocks on the road, what do you do? You drive around them. That would have been a very big oopsie in this case. Mm. Who hasn't ridden at night? We all do. <laughs> when, when but only, only in an emergency. Only yeah, in an emergency. When it's gone desperately wrong. That's the only reason yeah. to ride at night. Yeah, yeah but that's then, the that's only time we, we do. Yeah, same here. But you, you have to really, really slow down and assume that you can't see. And if you can't actually see the pavement ahead of you, you're going too fast. The problem is, when it's gone desperately wrong, you are generally trying to catch up on time, and that's exactly what yep. you're not doing, taking it easy. Yeah. Because if you yep. had time, you yep. wouldn't be riding in dark in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. Grant, I have a photograph of um, some guys. Um, it's, it's a truck in Africa. And the, a few days before, there'd been a, um, a, a really heavy downpour of rain and um, a small bridge. I mean, it must have been only, I don't know, three or four meters across. A small bridge had been washed away. And apparently these guys had had a puncture um, with their truck and they were running late and they decided to drive at night time to catch up. And they didn't see that this um, bridge was gone. 
And the photograph is of the cab of the truck mangled against the other side of the wash. Uh, and all the guys oh. in the cab were killed. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Ugly. Yeah. Yeah, you just yeah. just can't do that. It's got to pay attention and don't drive at night is the number one rule. I mean, you see a lot of overlanders buying a whole lot of extra lights. The only reason to buy extra lights is if it really goes wrong and you're going to ride at night. Otherwise, I don't particularly think you need all those extra lights. I used to think that, Grant. And then I went to Georgia, which from bright, dazzling sunlight, you go into unlit tunnels which have cows in them. I was putting my hand in front of my headlight to see if it was on because the change in light was so quick and so dramatic. I, and all I could see, I could see my hand in front of my headlight. I knew my hand was still there, but I could see nothing with my headlight. And for, yeah, I'm the same. I poo-poo all these adventure lights are, are an oxymoron. But there was a time when it would have been really nice when you suddenly go into a blackened tunnel from bright daylight to have something so piercing bright that it didn't need your eyes to adjust to the darkness because it compensated. <laughs> so there is yeah. a time. <laughs> yeah, there definitely is the time. And I think in the Western world, we end up riding at night as a routine thing, and it's not a big deal. But ha- and having the extra lights is great. But if you're heading for Africa or South America, your number one rule is don't ride at night, in which case you don't need extra lighting. So it's kind of a, do you want to spend $500, $600, $800 on a set of lights, or do you want to travel for another two weeks? Kind of, hmm, where do I spend my money? It's, it's something that you have to balance really carefully. But I find for tunnels, I remember when we hit Norway, um, every every around every corner, it seemed like there was another pitch black tunnel, and I was really having trouble because I was I had, was wearing prescription sunglasses and flip up my face shield, pull my sunglasses down so I can see over the sunglasses to see in the tunnel. Except that then I'm not legal to drive even because my vision's not that great, and, and that's it's really terrifying. <laughs> I could completely sympathize with you. Norway is a really good example, um, Grant, uh, and I found that when we were riding there as well. And quite often the tunnels that have no lights in them are the ones where the asphalt is all um, beaten up to blazes and you bounce around all over the place and have no idea where you are. Yep, it can be really, really scary. But I've got a helmet now. I've got the uh, the new Touratech Aventuro mod with a flip-down sun visor. And I don't wear sunglasses riding anymore. I just use a sun visor. If it suddenly goes dark, click, and I can see. It's wonderful. You know, I, I tried one of those. I didn't like that at all myself. I, I just found there's just too much light getting in. And uh, I mean, it wasn't a really expensive helmet, but I didn't like the idea of having that visor come down. I like the glasses against my face. Also, when I flip my, my visor open a little bit to get some fresh air in, uh, I found that, you, of course, you, you have nothing then, right? You, you have to put no, it. No, well, wait, whoa. no. Whoa. There, there is something funny there because I've got two layers. There's the clear glass or clear plastic shield for the whole thing and then there's the internal sun visor which yeah. comes down about two-thirds yeah. of the way same thing but, but that, that's exactly what i had but the problem is is when you flip down that inner one it's away from your face so you get yep. all the crap from the road blowing in and around it so i went back to my sunglasses and took that piece out no oh, you just want to look cool jim that's all it is. <laughs> <laughs> i think one of the things that can make a difference is how the helmet sits on your head too uh, if the helmet sits fairly high on your head and for some depending on your head shape it might then you have a lot more ambient light getting in below it. On me, it sits quite low, and I get a, a really good coverage. And I'm willing to put up with that little extra bright band at the bottom because when I hit a tunnel or just go into the trees in the shade, the difference for me wearing glasses is huge. Sun, prescription sunglasses is a nightmare. It's a pain in the ass. 
Grant, you, you hit a nail very firmly on the head there. I don't know how many exactly um, helmets there are with these drop-down sunscreens and sun biomasses inside. At least inside. half a dozen now. Uh, at least. There must be more. Um, yeah. And I, I've, well, I've tried five or six myself. Um, and every single one of those, the drop-down sun visor sits in a different position. And I think mm -hmm. anybody who's looking to buy one needs to be looking at exactly where does this sun visor drop down and how does it work for me um, yes. with the glare coming towards. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. Yeah, um, we've got two. I've been using them for about 10 years, those sort of helmets. And uh, uh, mine, is uh, it can adjust down to a certain level. You can just push it down. It doesn't click right down. But the one Shirley's using at the moment, it's either down or up, and it doesn't suit her, so uh, she hardly uses it. But um, the, where they're uh, easily adjustable down uh, to a certain level, it makes a big difference. Yeah. Agreed. I like it. I love it. In fact, I wouldn't ride with a helmet without it now. I guess if you're wearing glasses, it's, it's probably different because, you, like you're saying, you're doubling up there, and it's, um, that, that's got to be part of the pain in the butt. Yeah. Well, the issue also is, like I was saying, for Norway, even with – with regular sunglasses and no need for prescription, you still got to flip the shield up, pull down your sunglasses so you can see over the top of them. And then you're kind of peering through this crack between your glasses and the top, uh, top of your helmet visor. I mean, that's, it's not good. Just go click and all of a sudden you've got 100% perfect vision. It's a massive difference. Uh, so I guess to an extent it depends on where you ride. But like I say, I also found that just going into the woods from the open open areas where it was really bright, and you go into the woods and all of a sudden it's shaded, flipping up the sun visor, all of a sudden I can see. And I can see well. And that makes a big difference. So Brian had said that, uh, you know, one of the best tips really is just that you start paying attention um, when you ride, which, okay, so that's, that's sort of a given. I mean, and I think most people will yeah. be fairly alert when they go somewhere. But what are the sort of things? Like, like would you research in advance and try and find out, are, are some countries bad for certain things and others for, for other things? Like we just heard this story about Mexico from Graham, about the topes, and that's obviously something you, you are prepared to deal with if you're going there, if you've heard about it. Should you be doing some research from country to country, or, or what do you think, Brian? Yeah, yeah. look, I, I, I think so, Jim. I think um, what you need to do is look at uh, where you're going. For example, in Australia, if you go into the outback and you're on a, a, a road in the middle of nowhere and you see a road train coming towards you, pull over and stop. Uh, nine times out of ten on the small roads in the outback, uh, they're crown-shaped and they're dirt. So the road trains, one, kick up a lot of dust. And two, they cannot get off the crown of the road because if they do, they tend to roll over. There's, there's, uh, the, the trailers uh, swing around and they can swing 12 feet either way until such time as they get momentum up and, fall and, and roll over. So the road train drivers will not get off the crown. So if you think that you're impervious and they're going to move over for you, you've got another thing coming. Um, in Australia, and I've made a few notes, um, uh, let me think. Uh, kangaroos, uh, that's a given. Uh, I've seen <laughs> blokes who have hit kangaroos. Uh, we had a big ride uh, just recently, broken femur, broken tibia, fibia, dislocated hip uh, was one. Uh, I was riding with a guy uh, into the sunset and uh, following him, and next thing there's a heap of feathers flying around everywhere. He'd hit a heap of emus, little baby emus. Um, that's another one. Um, and Shirley and I were riding home uh, from um, Mildura one night, um, stinking hot day, so we, we decided to come back at night, had the big driving lights on, cranked over going around a corner, at a fair clip, 
a rabbit comes out and runs under our front wheel and slides the front wheel sideways, which is a bit exciting. Um, uh, so it doesn't necessarily have to be third world countries. No, I was no, going to say, no, no. you can't prepare for that. How do you prepare for the rabbit? Hang on. <laughs> Hang on. Well, you can't yeah. prepare for the rabbit. With the kangaroos, it's very unwise to ride at dawn or dusk, dawn or dusk in yeah. Australia. Yeah, we counted 61 day leaving Cancobin going up into the mountains and the mist was just at uh, about thigh level and you could just see their heads uh, feeding on the grass through the mist. Um, uh, potholes. Everyone mentions potholes. Now, Grant, you might remember there was a young man in Australia who was doing his first ride across Russia and he gave a presentation up in Queensland talking about where he got impatient riding around these potholes in Russia or Kazakhstan or somewhere, and he hit one so hard he came down. And they picked the bike up, cleaned him off, uh, put him back on his bike, and he rode for another day and a half. And they had photos of him riding, and he was he was bending over. Uh, and what had happened was he had internal bleeding, had ruptured internal organs. And uh, when they got into uh, a hospital in Russia... They had emergency surgery on him and saved his life. But his presentation, he had tears in his eyes talking about it because it ruined everything of his big trip around the world. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a real thing. You've got to really think about that. Um, Mexico. Um, I can remember we were going along uh, a dual-lane freeway in Mexico and there were some roadworks. So in the freeway, there's a median strip where you could ride across and they directed us across into the oncoming traffic lane. And that's fine when there's cones there, but they only had three cones. And the roadworks <laughs> went for about five kilometres. And so cars coming the opposite direction think it's clear. So they're coming out at you. And we rode past a car which was cut in two with two bodies uh, laying out there, blood and guts everywhere. Um, where there'd been a head-on. Um, that's typical in those sorts of countries. So, um, I'm getting the wind-up. I think I've said too much. Well, Brian, <laughs> let, let me just go back to something, something you said about the road trains, because this is what runs through my mind when you said pull over, when it's very dusty and, and it doesn't matter where it is, but in particular in, a, in Australia, in an outback, say. So um, so you get this, this road train coming up with all the dust, you pull over. There's a huge danger for stopping on the side of the road and being completely engulfed in dust or fog or snow or whatever it is. And you, you see that happen a lot where someone will pull over somewhere because there's something happening on the road and then they end up getting getting rear-ended because a vehicle comes up and can't see them as they approach. Um, not much chance of that out there. You might see one or two cars uh, um, in about an hour. So what you do is you pull off as far as you can. Like, even in the four-wheel drive when we go in the outback, we see a road train coming. I'll pull right off and wait and uh, just let them go. Another one's water crossings. Um, don't just go into water crossings uh, willy-nilly. Uh, it's great having a PM passenger. I use Cheryl to walk across as a, as a, as a measure, so I know, so I know where he is. It's true, isn't it, Cheryl? It is true. Yep. <laughs> Did you tell yes. the founder or give her water wings or anything? <laughs> no, no. My socks get wet, Graham. It's too deep. I'm surprised you have the same pillion. I thought you would have had replacements at this point. Oh, that one's went down the river. No. <laughs> no. Us riders with pillions uh, have a name for them. It's called the human dipstick. Yep, that's it. Grant, you're going to get a kick around the air if you're going like that. (laughs) 
Susan, you'll pay for that. <laughs> oh, yeah. One thing that one thing that Grant said earlier reminded me of when we were in Cambodia. Um, Grant, you were saying that if you see people selling on the side of the road, it's an indication there will be some kind of road hazard because they know you're going to have to slow down for it. Exactly. We were coming through um, Cambo in Cambodia, coming up towards a bridge, oh, yeah. and there were a whole heap of kids sitting on the side of the bridge, and we thought, oh, it's nice, and they're just watching us come through. What they were waiting for is us to fall down the hole in the bridge where two of the big steel plates that made up the bridge had been stolen. <laughs> so they were yeah. hoping the foreigners on the bike would end up in the hole and down into the river. So um, that was the lesson learned. If kids are hanging on the side of the road, it's usually for some nefarious reason. Yeah, the other reason for better than TV. Yeah, the <laughs> other reason for adults being at the side of the road is that they're hoping for work. In other words, if you get un come unstuck and crash and burn on the pothole or the hole in the bridge, they're going to get paid to help you through the <laughs> issue. Yeah, yeah. And I, I nearly cleaned up a, a tourist photographer on the Sony Pass. You know, some of those uh, river crossings on the Sony mm. Pass. Yes. I lined one up and I could see there was a deep hole on the other side. You know, you just just rephrase that, Brian. You lined up the water crossing, not the tourist. I mean, that's right. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I just missed him because he's out there, you know, leaning out, taking a photo head on of me coming through this water crossing and I've hit the um, the deeper water and I've had to gun it to get out of it. And I reckon I missed him by about a hair's breath. Yeah, not much. Oh, boy, it was close. <laughs> <laughs> what about researching and, and trying to figure out what you might be looking at for different countries? Graham, have you done that? Well, I do, I do research. You know the answer to that, Jim. <laughs> um, let me... Uh, there is a couple of things, though. I, with the, the truck coming the other way, I had a wonderful experience in Kazakhstan where the road was just, it was only a dirt road and it was so deteriorated that people just go off onto the step, make other roads and other roads and other roads, and it's just a, a, just a mash of tracks and you just let your front wheel decide which way it wants to go. Now, I was riding along and I could see a truck coming the other way and I the way we would, it was just bring up all this dust behind him. And the way we were going to pass, I was going to choke on his dust. But he slowly and deliberately went onto my side of the track. So I went onto his side so that where he passed me, all the dust would go off to my left and not across my path, which was a, a really considerate driver. And on an empty road where we were the only two people, it was something that could be foreseen, anticipated and, and dealt with. It was a wonderful action so that was a, a very uh, considerate action but the other thing we didn't mention about potholes and uh, it's bleeding obvious but no one said it yet is when it rains they're invisible oh yes oh wow yeah that's right and i got caught out big time in ukraine and uh, a road which had been horrendous it rained the sun came out so the sun is beaming off the road a road that looks perfectly smooth but isn't because the potholes have suddenly all been leveled out with water. And that is, uh, I mean, you, you simply can't tell where they are. And the cars are all whizzing along. There's spray, there's sunshine off a road, and there are huge abysses to fall down, which you're completely unaware of. It's, that is deadly. And really, it's easy to say in hindsight, but just stop. Just don't do it. Because the only way you can carefully do it is to be so slow that you're a hazard to other drivers. And, and uh, yourself. Yeah. Well, yeah, rainfield potholes are the worst. Yeah. Graham, you yeah. make me think about um, riding in countries where um, it's a, a national pastime to, to steal the manhole covers. 
<laughs> and yeah. those are the only countries where if it's going to rain, I hope it rains really heavily. Because um, when the manhole covers are stolen, if it's raining heavily, then you get these sort of whirlpools of water disappearing down inside them. And you actually notice the things. But otherwise, you just don't see them. Um, yeah. I saw a picture of one of those once where the, the water was actually gushing out. So there was a, a water spout coming out of the <laughs> oh, missing manhole cover. <laughs> what about other things when you're riding maybe a, a paved road that seems okay? And you're, I hear reports of oil on the road, especially from diesels. And what, what I'm hearing is that uh, people have no gas cap on. They make a corner and they slosh diesel fuel out. No, it's uh, not even that the gas cap on. Those, on. We, surely? We, have. We, we came off at 94th K and Air on one of those. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, riding through, I think it was Slovenia, we came through this beautiful forest, uh, following down into this little um, valley and down across a little bridge and up the other side, and there was a police car on the other side with a truck. And all of a sudden, as we came into view, the policeman starts waving madly at us. There's a car in front of us, and it's suddenly pirouetted off doing 360s down the road and off into the scrub. And uh, I immediately just slowed down, and um, it was diesel spill on the road, and I went around the corner, up past the truck, and the policeman applauded. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, diesel is the scariest. I I, I ran into diesel in France coming out of a roundabout, and I could see it ahead of me, but I had no choice. I was already on the line. That was it. I went through it. Bike went all twitchy, swirling sideways and everything else. It was... Absolutely terrifying. I was convinced we were going to crash, and somehow we came out of it. But it was zero control. It was just sideways, slithering all over the place. And I did a U-turn in some small town in England once. I can't remember where it was. Just doing a little tiny U-turn, and and bang, I was on the ground. What happened? Like absolutely zero warning, completely invisible, just bang, I'm on the ground. So diesel is probably the number one thing that scares me on the road. Yeah. The other little hazard of the the gravel on the um, on the asphalt, and and I've run a stretch one time where I was on a dirt road, and the they've for some reason they did this little tiny chunk of asphalt on the corner. So as I'm I've got a riding buddy in front of me, and he he's ahead of me, sort of out of sight as he goes around the corner. And as I come around the corner, I realize he's stopped in the sort of right in my way. <laughs> so I get on the brakes, and of course I had no idea I was I wasn't on gravel anymore. It was all of a sudden on asphalt, and uh, boy, that was a uh, that was a hairy move there. Oh, dirt roads in Australia where you come across little bits of asphalt like that, you know that that's where the mayor of the town lives and they've, <laughs> they've sealed the road yep. outside his house so he doesn't get covered in dust every time he sits out on his front veranda. Mm. Oh, you find it in Africa she, as she's well. She's not it's joking. We've actually, we've actually yeah. seen that. Oh, yeah. Graham, you forgot to mention going through tunnels, um, uh, and we did it too. Um, you know, they have a, a red and a green light sometimes. Don't, uh, if you get a green light, yeah, go, but just remember there could be something coming the other way. We've struck that, and in the tunnels, um, sometimes it, it's not straight. There's curves in it. And the other thing is um, if it's a, a dirt floor inside the tunnel, you get dust particles reflecting your light back at you, and it makes yeah. it really, really, really hard to see. It can be like mm-hmm. riding into a fog, can't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Graham mentioned earlier on um, about dogs. I think it was Graham. 
Um, I mean, they're one of the things that I'm always really conscious of because these these things have, have just got no road sense at all. And sometimes, you you know, you could, like in Egypt, for example, you can be riding down the road and uh, over a, a 50 mile um, section, you can find 20 or 30 um, dead dogs by the side of the road. I mean, don't these things learn from each other? It's almost like they're completely <laughs> blind to the rest of the world and their own, they're living in their own environment. I rode for a while with um, a Swedish guy called Stefan um, in Thailand. And uh, he had a, a new girlfriend on the back of um, the bike. And this was the first time that she'd ever been on, on a motorcycle. So Stefan was being really careful, but trying to impress with, um, you know, how good a rider was, um, as you do. And uh, I mean, their, their, event, their adventure started off with him having a blowout. Now, of course, we all know that that's Blow a pretty out. scary thing. Okay. So th this poor girl hanging onto the back of the bike, and they'd only been on the road for about 20 miles when they had this blowout. But Stefan managed to keep it upright. So we pulled over and we, we changed the tyre, no worries. It was all quite amiable, and, and she was being very brave and stiff upper-lipped about it. And then about another 10 miles down the road, a dog ran out from the side and wham, straight into the side of the front wheel. And that did send them flying. Um, but Elspeth Beard... Um, she had this, you know, Elspeth, um, she was the first British woman to ride solo around the world. And um, she had a very, very similar experience. Um, and she's got a, um, a new book that's coming out um, sometime later on this year. It's called Lone Rider. And um, the book starts off with this experience that she had with um, with a dog. And, yeah, one of the scariest things that you can, you can ever poss possibly confront. But I don't know whether you guys have had this as well, but in some countries, man, don't those dogs chase after you? They, they just think you're the best entertainment out, and they, they're pretty snarly buggers too, aren't they? As oh, yeah. someone who was a cyclist before they were a motorcyclist, or at least a, 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 a sort of an overland cyclist before I was an overland motorcyclist, so they were the bane of my life. I had a, uh, one of those high-pitched frequency things. I, could I had it on my handlebars. I could press the button, which would have them retreating and yelping because the high-pitched frequency was agony to their ears. But occasionally you'd have a deaf dog and you'd <laughs> press the button <laughs> and the bastard would be heading for your calves, which are pumped full of blood from you pushing the pedals around and you couldn't push around half a thing. A bane of my life, I bloody hate dogs. <laughs> and I tell you what, I mean, you know, we're, we're joking about these guys, but sometimes, you know, you're riding through countries where the dogs are, are rabid. And they're mm -hmm. literally foaming at the mouth as they're chasing down the road after you. And if they'd managed to take a chunk out of your, your calf or your, your knee, whatever, um, you could be in, in real trouble. I mean, I, I did have a technique for, for dealing with dogs like this, and it was remarkably successful. Um, so there you are, riding through this African village, for example, and you've got maybe 20 dogs chasing, uh, chasing after you down the road. And, um, yeah, it's, it's quite scary because you can't go too fast because you're dealing with all of the other... Um, things that are in the way in a, in a, in a village. Um, and I found the best way to deal with dogs like that was to slow right down until they almost caught me and then lean over and bark furiously at them. And that always scared them off. <laughs> Must have been great entertainment for the people in the village, the madmen on the motorbike barking at their dogs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that high-pitched that high squeal, squeal thing sounds pretty good, but I've got Cheryl. Oh. <laughs> Another cauliflower ear. Graham, is that why you stopped riding a bicycle and went to a motorcycle? That and that other reason we talked about before? <laughs> <laughs> now, if you don't know what we're talking about, you have to go back and listen to the previous episode. 
going to do that. You know, <laughs> it's just occurred to me that this 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 show is going to be centered around things to worry about. So, I mean, I I hope it doesn't come across as worry, more of just awareness, because um, I wanted to talk about you know scams, things you have to be careful of as far as when you're traveling around, you know, getting your wallet taken <laughs> or, or something even more major. So and I'm sort of curious to get an idea of from you guys who went out to, you know, all these different places and, and ran into these problems, what sort of interesting scams you might want to look out for. Can I start off by yeah, making Sam, a comment about this? Um, because it follows on really from what you just said about, um, you know, we're just talking about scare stories. And I think the first thing to say is that the scammers are, are out there, but they are actually quite few. Um, and they do tend to operate in a fairly similar way. So um, you can actually learn quite a lot of the tricks that these guys are going to um, have a go at you with. And, you know, by really thinking about what you're doing and accepting that you're a stranger in a strange land and by using your common sense, then most of the time these guys can't get you. Make yourself vulnerable and the chances, of course, somebody's going to notice. So if you go in around with your eyes wide open and your senses firing on all cylinders, um, then, you know, you, you can mostly be all right. But if you start trying to do unusual things when you're tired or when you're ill or when you're running out of time, then those are the sorts of times that you make yourself vulnerable and open to the scams. Yeah, a lot of it is how you how you present yourself as well. Uh, we were just out walking around in, in Panama City in kind of a mediocre part of town. And I was reminded of one of the main pieces of advice that we often give is look like you know where you're going. You know, if somebody starts to approach, like just walking out of the hotel, a guy started walking towards me and I didn't, and he was, I think he was probably a taxi driver wanting to sell me a taxi ride. And I didn't look at him. I just marched right on straight through. Like, I know where I'm going. I know what I'm doing. And he literally turned around and went the other way. I knew where I was going and he recognized that. I'm just walking past these five rocks and over this bridge. <laughs> yes, exactly. I know exactly where I'm going. It's not going to be good. I know where I'm going. Sam, you, you said um, if you make yourself vulnerable, then you sort of, you can fall for some of this stuff. But isn't that sort of part of fitting in? Isn't that sort of part of be- befriending someone, uh, showing a little bit of your vulnerable side or, or giving in to the locals? Yeah, it is. And that's really important. But when you're doing something like um, going to use an ATM machine, for example then those are exactly the times when you don't want to make yourself vulnerable. And there are quite a few ATM scams around, and of course we all use them now, um, because they're so blooming convenient. But, I mean, there's a classic one that's that's really popular um, at the moment, and I, I keep hearing stories about this. And I actually, had, uh, I actually saw this happening when I was in L.A. Uh, last year. And what, what was going on was a girl had gone up to an ATM machine Um, and a guy pulled in behind her and was standing looking over her shoulder. Um, Now, this was on a a, a fairly main street. It wasn't that busy. Um, And he watched her put her code, um, her passcode, into the the, the card machine. He then had another bloke who came and dropped a $20 bill on the ground next door to her and distracted her. Excuse me, miss, is this yours? And she pulled her eyes away from the ATM machine. Her card was still in the machine. Um, she thought, no, no, that's not mine. And the guy behind her reached forwards, pressed the button, grabbed the card and, and left. He'd not only got her card, but he'd got her, her passcode at the same time. 
And I've, you know, you, you see stories about this sort of stuff happening. And ATMs can actually be quite dangerous. But I think one of the keys is um, never let anybody near be really near you when you're using an ATM. Always cover up the number pad when you're punching your, your PIN code in. And if you can, don't use an ATM when you're on, on your own. Take a friend. And there are, there are some countries where the only place that it's really safe to use an ATM machine is in something like a shopping centre where you know that they've got security guards and security cameras. And that that does give you that um, that that feeling of security. But I, I would never use one without having somebody else watching my back. Um, but and that'll I mean, happen in first world. That will happen in first world countries as uh, as likely as anywhere sure. else. Absolutely. Off at an ATM. It happens yep. here in um, in Australia. Yep. So. Yeah, that's I, something I that every everyone should be aware of. I routinely yeah. put my hand like you know over the pad and put my fingers underneath. And what I'll do is I'll I use my index finger you know to to press the OK. Cause I mean you know, I know it gets pretty technical, but I mix it up. You know, use my thumb for one and my index finger for the other, just so it doesn't look so obvious exactly what I'm doing. You see a lot of people yeah. that take their one finger and they'll tap hard on each button. I just try and make it more confusing. Yeah, I try. Uh, maybe is to block it, block any view at all. Just make sure that nobody can see what you're doing. I pull and right up to hasn't, it and cover it up. And, and make sure someone hasn't put a skimmer on the machine. Yeah. Make sure there's a light coming out of where the card goes in. If not, you'll find there's a, a skimmer in there and they'll just get your card details later. I mean, there's lots of things with credit card fraud, like not letting shopkeepers take your card away to process it. And, as far as getting money from the ATM, what will be the, the top cardinal things to keep in mind? I think what Sam said is go together, go with someone. I always get the money and Brian stands guard. Yeah, we do the same thing. Yep. Yeah, the other, yeah, of course, uh, is yeah. make sure that when you're walking up to an ATM, as you're approaching the ATM, if there's anybody anywhere near, walk on by and then go down the block, turn around, come back. And if it's clear, there's nobody close, zip in and get your business done and get out before anybody has a chance to get close. Yep. Yeah, that, that, that can be the case, Grant, but also you don't want a machine that uh, could easily be tampered with. And uh, I like sure. the advice of going to somewhere where it, you see someone get money out of the machine, you know it's working. And then you well, take knowing it's working is one thing, but there could still be a skimmer on it. I like to go to one that's inside a bank if I can find it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's and there's true. a lot of those that are in the foyer of banks that you can yeah. use. Yeah, that's definitely no, and preferred. And know how they work. Um, sure, made a blue with one in <laughs> Um, oh, all right. I'm not gonna tell <laughs> Go ahead, Brian. I just had a mild, it's okay. I had a mild blonde moment. A blonde moment. <laughs> she, she said, oh, look, the, the, the bank uh, is just down the road from where we were staying and I was finishing my breakfast. And she said, it's, it's secure in there. I'll, I'll go in this little, uh, like a little cute, uh, um, separate room. I'll go and get the money. And I'm waiting, I had my coffee, and I'm waiting for her to come back. And she didn't come back. And I thought, oh, I better go and look for her. So I go down there. And she's standing by the machine in tears. I said, what's wrong? She said, the bloody machine's eaten my card and hasn't given it back. So there was a whole panic and we, we rang the, the, the company and man came out to check the machine and he pulled the machine apart, pulled it all apart and he said, are you sure, madam, the card is not in your wallet? It was one of those machines where you put the card in, it comes out, and you put it back in your wallet. <laughs> sure enough, that's exactly where it was. It was no. an easy mistake to make. <laughs> Shirley, we, we're all image, uh, imagining your face extremely red at the moment. <laughs> not, not as red as Brian's will be when. <laughs> <laughs>
But actually, as a solo traveller, the going the bank thing is not an option because it's better to be ripped off at an ATM than it is to leave your bike outside and unattended. So that's, oh, that's right. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Have the whole bike taken. Yeah, yeah, yeah but at least I got me 250 rupees. <laughs> <laughs> so what are you saying? You always use machines that are outside so you can pull right up to them? Well, yeah, actually I do, yeah. uh, because with the bike outside, um, all my stuff is still within sight, and I can swing around and grab it. I, I haven't had a bad experience with an ATM, but for me, as a solo traveller, I would rather, uh, well, I don't want to lose a card, obviously, but one bad ATM re- uh, transaction is going to be far easier to deal with than a lost bike or a stolen Camp top box or something, you know, because you've left your bike out of sight. So it's, it's you people who travel as, as couples, that's wonderful because you've got your whole teamwork thing going on. As a solo traveller, any time, even checking into a hotel, any time that bike is left in a, in a city environment where it's unattended and out of sight is a very vulnerable time. That's a really good point. Uh, so so not focusing on ATMs. Graham, what are some other scams that you've heard about? Maybe some that could sort of cut you by surprise. Well, the, the probably the best scam I've ever I've ever had was uh, traveling down into Moldova uh, from Ukraine just because I went to go to Moldova. It was close by. But there is this autumnal republic called Transnistia, something like that. You can Google it. And... Uh, it's within the. It's not recognised by any other country. It gets its arms and supplies from Russia. Lovely people, after the rather hard-faced people of uh, of of uh, Ukraine, these people were so quick to wave and friendly. Yet the officialdom was as corrupt as you like, and they uh, have made an art form out of it. It is absolutely something how, you know, they'll raise to their position of authority only to milk every single civilian they can. And there was this well-rehearsed thing where me and a mate had gone through the border, the internal border. We both got our passport stamps. On we went. And we were going to be leaving the same place the same day. We didn't actually really know where we were. All we know that the we changed from Ukraine currency into Moldovian currency, and now they weren't accepting easier either. Where were we in some like, in some <laughs> parallel universe? We didn't know where the hell we were. Anyway, we got to leaving what we thought was what we thought was Moldova into Ukraine, but turns out because we were in Transnistria, we were only leaving Transnistria back into, I think, back into Ukraine. Now they knew already. The people who had stamped our passports in had deliberately put slightly different stamps in the two passports. And this was the biggest, biggest illegal thing that had ever happened in the history of the country. They were absolutely, there was nothing else could be done than a lifetime imprisonment and beheading of all our immediate family (laughs) members. This was huge. And they made it quite clear, this very stern, decorated man, that he couldn't even be doing without blatant disrespect for the law. And it was for his little boy bitch to deal with it. Now, the boy was like, be nice to boss. Say, boss, you sorry. You only tourist, you're on holiday. Please, boss, be nice, boss. Say, nice, boss. Don't give him money. Give, give boss present. Give present to boss. Anyway, eventually, we laid, I think he wanted $50. I think we laid $20 on this ledger. 
which disappeared like a magic trick. And all of a sudden, boss saw it fit to overlook the situation and we were free to leave. But the whole thing, they deserved an Oscar. It was fabulous. <laughs> and we were just, we were just, there was nothing we could do. We were absolutely the only, you know, go back to the other border. Well, obviously, we're not going to go back to the other border. And even if we did, you'd have another scam lined up for us. Man, they had that thing down. <laughs> and in those situations, you just got to pay the price. And okay, I've got a story to tell from a fee, you know. <laughs> Graham, I don't believe that it was the $20. I think it was your charm that did it. <laughs> I didn't have a lot of charm that afternoon. <laughs> you think they would just say, you know, give me $20, or it's going to cost you $50 to go through and forget about all the antics? No, it's all about saving face. They have to make it look good and be uh, like they don't want to themselves feel that they're stealing. Mm. It's it's part of the act. It's part of the. I'm a. I'm actually a nice guy, but you need to pay this fee for me and and give you a good act and a good show. And they think they suck. They're suckering you into believing that this is all true, but of course it's not. We had a case um, crossing into Bolivia where we asked where the insurance was sold, and a very high-ranking policeman gave us a document and took money from us and said, this is fine, you know, I, I do the insurance as well as everything else here. And um, we'd gone maybe 10 k's beyond the border and we got pulled up by a similar breed of constabulary, but not quite so high ranking, who wanted to see our insurance document. And when we showed it to him, he said, this isn't insurance. And he wanted us to pay him for the insurance. Um, we managed to talk our way out of that and went on another five or ten k's and got stopped again by another bunch who also wanted us to pay our insurance. So Brian got his best bolshy police voice on and demanded to see superiors and was talking about going to the bosses when we got to the capital city and we were let go again. And when we got to the capital city, we just bought the proper insurance papers. But that was obviously a setup from the guy at the border and his mates further up the track that he'd got money from us to buy the insurance and he was hoping that his other buddies could get something out of us for the fine for not having the right insurance. And that was just a, who knows how many people fall for that scam. Yeah, an yeah. official tells you this is the insurance and gives you a document with a million stamps on it. Yeah, yeah, what what do. Yeah. yeah, we had a similar thing when we were coming through, uh, I think it was leaving Kenya and heading for Tanzania. We had to buy uh, insurance. And they said, this insurance covers all the rest of Southern Africa. It covers all the countries. Okay, fine. And it looks official. And this guy behind a desk and stamped papers and give us a nice, you know, proper looking document and stamped it and everything was great. And then we get uh, to the next country and they say, oh, yeah, no, this, this doesn't, it's not worth anything. It doesn't mean anything here. You have to buy insurance for this country too and for the next country. Okay, yeah. I mean, what can you do at that point? And that's really interesting, Grant. That's really interesting because, I mean, I don't know whether it still exists, but there used to be an insurance policy that you could get that would cover you from Tanzania down to um, South Africa, and you would literally just pay the one premium and, and you'd be set for all of the countries. Well, maybe the document was good, and the next country where they said that the document was no good was the scam. And they Who could knows? have just sold you a scam document anyway under the guise of, of well, could. actually, this thing does exist. So you, you don't know. There is no way of telling which is good and which is bad. And it's, hey, as long as it's not a stupid amount of money, okay, that's, that's kind of, that's the way it goes. Don't get all upset about it because there's nothing you can do about it. 
Just and you're contributing it. to their family Christmas fund, so... Oh, yeah. yes, of there's, course. There's lots of those, like the mysterious tourist tax that appears at border crossings, and you think, well, why would I be paying a $7 tourist tax and the man has no change for the $10 and just puts <laughs> it in his top drawer? I mean, clearly there was no tourist tax, but why go through the angst of arguing with this man for so long and then he may just say, well, you can get nicked. I'm not going to give you a stamp to come into this country. You can go back to where you came from for something as minuscule as 10 bucks in the scheme yeah. of things. This show yeah. is exactly my philosophy because tomorrow you're going to be riding beautiful, windy roads that you've never seen before and he's still going to be a corrupt bastard. Exactly. <laughs> Let him have his money and his miserable exactly. little life and you can get on with your fabulous day. There yeah. is always you know, the um, the alternative, which is to talk your way out of it, and we got stopped in Tajikistan for doing 61 in a 60 zone. And um, Brian, Brian wasn't going to pay and thought he would do his best to talk his way out of it. So I got my um, picture talk book out and my phrase talk book out and after about 10 minutes of me blathering on and pointing to things in this picture talk book about we were Australian and, you know, we were such nice people, the policeman just told us to go away. <laughs> take the yeah. mad woman and take her away from yeah. me now. It is not worth that, it. They felt sorry for me. <laughs> that, that, and, that, and that can really work. I mean, another thing that can help is, you know, when you're going um, – through you know from one country to the next and you've got to have a visa for the next country so you go to the embassy or the consulate wherever um and to get your visa organized normally there's an office there which will tell you um what fees for what you can expect at the border into their country mm. um and it's quite useful to know exactly what you do need to pay and you know what you need and what you need to pay for it um, and we found with several border crossings where they tried it on with us, we just said to them, well, OK, um, I'm just going to phone your consulate because we spoke to them X, Y, Z number of days ago. And we spoke to this particular official and this particular official told us that. Um, where's your nearest telephone, please? Um, and they backed off pretty darn quickly because we knew exactly what was needed. Yeah, yeah. that works, I think, if you're doing it in the adjacent country. But mm -hmm. if you are, are doing it from home and you call or contact embassies and ask for that kind of information, the embassy in the UK or in Canada or wherever has no clue what it's like in their country when their country is Chad, for instance. It's yeah. just, no, they, they, they don't have any idea what's going on. But the adjacent country, sure, absolutely, it works great. Yeah. And yeah. you can also make a nice close phone call. and They might even know the names of those people and you throw out the right names. Oh, yep. yeah. Okay. These guys know what they're talking about and they will back off. I think you're, yep. that's a really good tip. It, by, by pure chance, I happen to have a business card of someone in the British Embassy in Kazakhstan because I got into some trouble initially. And then when I got into some more trouble, I pulled out his business card to show to the policeman. And that caused all sorts of, uh, that solved all sorts of problems because suddenly <laughs> I had the business card of my embassy representative and all of a sudden my uh, little misdemeanors were such a big deal. I'm not saying I an embassy in every single country and, and get their business card, but it was a wonderful little thing to have in your wallet. It was like a get-out-of-jail-free card. <laughs> yeah, business cards, are uh, especially of any kind of an official at all, are amazingly important in a lot of countries, in smaller countries. You know, in the West, we don't think much of them, but in countries like that, a business card, ooh, this is an important person. 
yeah. really matters. Hey, Graham, do you find there's places uh, that you've been sort of uh, almost taken for a scam because you're traveling by yourself? You're talking to me? Yeah, Graham. You're, you're Graham. Oh, sorry, right? I, was set, I was setting the alarm. What did you say? I said... <laughs> <laughs> What you, is that alarm like to wake you up as we're talking? What do you do? Set it for two minutes? I gotta, I gotta wake up in two yeah, minutes. Yeah, I gotta well, listen. Start, I have, I've got this little thing when you start talking, it goes off every minute. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, so I've got to get really have, early tomorrow. I didn't realize you to what we saying. Carry on. You have, can edit this. Have you, uh, <laughs> have you run into times when you've been uh, at least almost fallen or fallen victim to a scam, particularly because you're traveling by yourself? Uh no, not really. In fact, I think it's probably the opposite because perhaps as a, as a single person, you're not really going to have that. If you're like when the time we got scammed in that Transnistia place, I was traveling with someone else. So it's double bubble. You know, you've got two wallets. When it's just me, I've never really found myself. I, mean, I don't recall ever finding myself in a situation where I have had that. I think I, I do try and be as unthreatening as possible, wear a stupid smile and be as, and I, I repeat this again and again, and just be as helpful and congenial to whatever their requests are. So I think being a lone traveler, certainly in my experience, I've been less prone to scams than I have when I've been, uh, when I've been with someone. I found that the same. I mean, four years of the eight-year trip, was, I was on my own. And um, I, I did exactly what you were doing, handshakes and smiles and be friendly and amiable and, you know, treat people with respect and all of the rest of it. And um, I only ever had one um, scam that they actually got away with. Um, and that was because I was just getting over malaria. I'd run out of money. Um, the banks were closed and the, re the rates at the bank were absolutely stupid. Black money um, market, I, you, you, you were averagely getting at least four times the official exchange rate and I wasn't firing on all cylinders and um, I got well and well and truly um, done over I mean only for 20 quid but 20 quid was 20 quid and you know I'd, I'd just been helped by somebody whose um, pension from from the army was 20 pounds a year so you know in in local terms that was an awful lot of money but that was my own fault you know I was doing it when I was ill but they I'd made myself vulnerable but the rest of the time, no, I, I really didn't get any any real hassle. And sometimes, I mean, what, what um, Shirley and Brian were talking about just then, um, you, you just sort of talk and pleasantly smile. And even if you know that they don't understand a single word that you're saying, because you're being uber friendly and handshaking and smiling and all of the rest of it, eventually they just think, oh, for goodness sake, go away. There's somebody more vulnerable going to come up any second now. Exactly. Yeah. Someone who's going to knuckle under and give me the money without all yep. this angst. Yeah, the longer you, the longer you waste their time, the less chance they have to make money off the next guy. So mm. it's their time. Just keep talking. Uh, Peter Forwood told me once that his technique is exactly that, with the little added thing of he walks around them in a circle, talking nonstop. <laughs> Keeps going around and around and around and around and drives them insane and dizzy, and then they just want to get rid of him. That's a good idea. I'm trying yeah. that. I like that. I like it. Any other tips, sure, any other scams you guys know about that you that um, you think would we should tell the listener? Beggars. 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 No, that's when yeah. you get fall for home, beggars. isn't it? Yeah, that's a problem we've got in Melbourne now with beggars who are making a sizable living and backpackers who come and live on the streets and beg and just so they can have a cheaper holiday. 
Yeah, um, uh, we were in India once, and um, you know, you felt sorry for beggars. And uh, we'd been in this place having dinner with some um, other travellers, and walked out, and there was a, a young woman there with a baby, uh, with a hand out, and there's a baker over the road. So I took her over the road and bought bread uh, for her and gave it to her. She didn't want bread; she wanted money. Yeah. Mm. So you know, um, beggars. Well, one of the things with um, with beggars, particularly in developing world countries, is you know that's that's how it, quite often you can get a beggar strata, and the whole family for generations have been beggars, and that's how they make yeah. their livings, and they do all sorts of things. I mean, women with babies—that's that's a classic, isn't it? Yeah. But one of the things that we noticed was happening. Um, was, um, you know, when you're walking down a street and it's a tourist town and you see other tourists and you see beggars and, you know, because Western visitors in particular tend to be kind-hearted and, you know, just aware of how lucky they are for, for where they come from and how unlucky the beggars are to be living in their situation, um, that they'll reach in their hand, in their pockets or their bags or whatever and they'll pull their wallet out and they'll pull some coins or a note out and um, they'll hand it over. But what they haven't realised is that the beggar is in cahoots with somebody else who's watching mm. exactly where that tourist puts their money back. Mm. A couple of yeah. hundred yards down the street, the pickpocket's yeah. in there, and it's gone. Yeah. So that the moral of the story is, yeah, if you can, don't give um, cash to street beggars. But, yeah, give away food, like Brian just said. That's, that's an absolute classic. A lot of people tell you to give to a local charity that looks after people who are living on the street. Mm, that's a good point. Rather than giving to the people on the oh, street. Yeah. Well, we had a woman, we, had, we stopped at a set of traffic lights and a woman came up and just grabbed my foot and kissed my boot. That you was know? awful. And, oh, did she listen to you on Adventure Rider Radio? <laughs> <laughs> ah, she was a fan, obviously. Obviously, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> How do you shake that off? You, you can't put your hand in your pocket and give her money. Or you just say, go away. <laughs> the lights have changed. I've got to go. <laughs> Someone having, uh, you know, those metallic, uh, metal uh, magnetised tank bags, um, a, a bloke uh, pulled up a set of traffic lights. I think it was in Asia somewhere. And a guy just ran, on, ran along, picked up his tank bag and ran off because it's just magnetised onto the tank. Well, you've got to know what to look for. You've got to be a you've got to be a magnetised tank bag specialist thief, really. And also, they do have straps around them as well to stop them blowing off or catching a wind. So, you've you've got to know your stuff to be able to grab a, a magnetised. Yeah, that, yeah, that's that's true, Graham. That's true. But uh, well, I don't think it's idea. just I don't think it's just necessarily knowing your stuff. It's taking a chance. If you can see something and grab it, why not? Uh, we're sitting in a taxi in. Uh, Dar es Salaam, and I had my wallet in my shirt pocket, buttoned, secure, and the window was open, and a guy reached in and grabbed my my shirt, wallet and all, and tried to just take it. Of course, I smacked his arm, and he walked away, very casually, no rush, no, no drama, no nothing, just walked away. He saw a wallet, or what might be a wallet. Why not grab it? Why not try for it? If you don't get it, so what? You disappear and you melt into the crowd. If you get it, hey, bonus. So I think that's the same thing. If you can grab it and run, why not? And Grant, that's 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 a classic. Um, there was one that um, we saw happening when we were traveling through India, and people were traveling in taxis. You know, you park up your bike and and you take a taxi to X Y Z, so you can be walking around in shorts and a t-shirt. 
Um, and because there the, the no air conditioning in the taxis, everybody had the windows open. Sure. And um, the, the scam that was happening, I mean, it was, it was absolutely horrendous. There were two versions of it. People would sit with one hand on the sill of the window so that the, the breeze was going up their arms and, and keeping them really cool. Um, and what was happening was um, one lot of guys were just cruising around on their scooters two up, and they were looking for tourists doing that, and they just reach across and grab watches off people's wrists. But there was a, another gang, and these guys did actually get caught. Um, they were going around two up on their scooters with a machete. And oh, if they yes. saw tourists with um, rings on their fingers, they were going up to the side of the taxi, they were grabbing the ends of the fingers, and they were just going wallop and riding off with the fingers with the rings on. Yeah. I okay. don't wear my jewellery when we travel other than um, my wedding ring. Yeah, spot yeah. on. I don't wear any Absolutely. expensive jewellery or neck chains or anything like that because it is asking for trouble. And um, if I carry a handbag or a shoulder bag, Brian just refers to them as thief uh, tractors. Yeah. Yeah, no handbags. Yep. yep, absolutely. And even a cheap watch. You know, I make sure that my watch when I travel is a cheapy $25, $30 yeah. watch. That's it. Yeah, absolutely. And there's, there's another thing that, you know, with, with bags, um, how, how often do you actually think about, you know, with your day pack – taking the zip so that it's all the way round and down to the bottom and not zipped up to the top. Yes, um, absolutely. <laughs> pickpockets I always find do that. Really, pickpockets find it really hard to undo a zip from the side and bring it up far enough. But if, if it's um, the zip's at the top, the zip fasteners are at the top, they found that really easy to, to slide down as they're walking along behind you. And well, you'll feel better. it more if they're jagging on it to lift it up. Yep, yep. Well, yep. Susan and I were on a bus in Mexico City, and I had my pack on, and Susan was standing quite close, and I, I felt something. Didn't know what it was, felt something, and I immediately hmm, turned around, looked around, and there's a couple of people standing there, nobody paying any attention to me. Hmm. Okay, so I just kind of keep an eye on it, and then we got off the bus and checked my pack just to be sure, and there was a big slit in it from a razor blade. Yeah. yeah. So all you got to do is slice and grab whatever's in there. Well, I mean, we got away with we got away with it. We were okay. The guy didn't get anything, but there was definitely a slice in it from a razor blade, and I almost didn't feel it. Grant, exactly that happened to me in Barcelona. Um, I was walking through, and I had a backpack on, and um, I just caught something weird in the reflection in a shop window. Um, and when I turned round, there were my belongings spread along the street behind me. Um, no. a, a thief had um, slit open the bottom of my rucksack and was just very gently walking behind me, pulling stuff out, looking for something worth worth stealing. I mean, he was going to fail miserably with me, but um, <laughs> I, I hadn't felt the thing. I hadn't even felt the weight of my rucksack getting less because he was just mm -hmm. doing it so gently. Yeah, there you go. You got to be careful. Um, going back to the we're going back to the beggar thing. Um, I went to the last weekend, we went to the seaside and uh, we had a beggar situation and uh, the person who I was with was <laughs> far more charitable than I was. But what I realised was I prefer to offer than I do to be asked. When I see a situation and I decide that I want to help that situation, whatever it is, that's my choice. But when I'm trying to eat my dinner and there's a little hand suddenly comes into my peripheral view or when I'm trying to cross the street and someone's getting in my way, that's when it 
pisses me off. And it was just a little realisation. It's not I'm opposed to giving to people who are more fortunate, especially when I look like some rich, rich Western tourist, which is what I am in most situations compared to a lot of people's predicaments. But I want to decide who I'm going to give to, why and when, and not have someone come begging in my direction. And that's how I kind of justify it, I think. And I think that's a good thing. There'll be mm-hmm. some people that you feel um, look more vulnerable or non- more needy, and there are others that do look like scammers, and you don't want to give them give them something. Sure. Well, the more aggressive they are, the more likely they are to be a scammer, and they don't really need it. They're actually making a very nice living. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, one thing I'd like to say is we've talked about all the horrors of potholes and holes in bridges and corrupt um, border guards and beggars and, you know, in the scheme of how many kilometres we've all travelled and how many kilometres people are overlanding all the time, um, there's really the number of problems you face are minuscule. And in the scheme of things, how bloody lucky are we to be able to go to those countries and, uh, and see those things and experience all the things that we've experienced Really, it's not that dangerous out there. In all the trips Brian and I have done, the only time we've ever been robbed is in the Broken Hill Caravan Park on our way home from our first trip riding down the centre of Australia. So, you know, we're just so damn lucky and the number of times things have happened to us are really minuscule. That means another trip's on the go, Cheryl, does it? Not necessarily. <laughs> <laughs> but I, totally agree. I mean, you can listen to us, this show, you know, I guess you probably listen for, for research purposes. And it could all sound a little bit daunting and scary, but we're talking about the most extreme cases. And maybe we should have a show where we all talk about the most fantastic moments to try and inspire people and encourage them a little more instead of going on about the most dire moments. Clearly, everything's fine. Everywhere's great apart from Australia. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see. Canada, oh, okay. Canada. How's this one? I, we had uh, a couple of Colombians. Remember when Colombia was a very dangerous place, and you definitely didn't go there. We had a couple of Colombians travel from Colombia to Canada overland, and they had a great trip, and everything was fine. And then one of them parked his bike in an underground parking lot in Vancouver, which they thought was really safe, and left a tank bag on the bike with a camera in it. Came back a few hours later, the camera was gone. I mean, how embarrassed were we? You know, wonderful, safe Canada and his camera stolen from a Colombian who figures everything is everywhere else is safe. Somebody once said to me, look, Sam, if you make it all the way across Europe without anything being stolen, you'll make it around the rest of the world. And they were almost right. In all the years that I've traveled, um, I've only ever had one thing stolen. And that was down to my sheer stupidity. I put my second camera down while I was in a conversation, and of course, it went. Of course, it did. You know, I, mm-hmm. I'd just given somebody a Christmas present. It served me right, <laughs> and I hope it fed that family or whoever ended up with it for weeks afterwards. Um, but you know, yeah. that's all that time. I've only ever had one thing stolen. Yeah, we had one thing stolen in our travels too. We had in Mexico City. We parked our bike in a nice, safe hotel, and we had one of those stick-on clocks, and that stick-on clock went missing. Okay, that's not a big deal. And the other 
time we had something sort of tried to be stolen was in Birmingham in a big public parking lot. Somebody took took all the stuff out of the uh, uh, the fairing pockets and dumped it all on the ground. That was it. That's our this, this, this might be a little bit controversial, but you know, this is a generalisation. Do you, do you find it's safer in Muslim countries from theft? Yeah, absolutely. I do. I've got to say, yeah. I, you know, I never felt any element of threat there at all. In yeah, any Muslim definitely. country, I'm the same. I'm the same. I, I stayed in a really dodgy area in Ankara. In a, it was, I stayed in a brothel, and my bike was outside because I, I, I had to stay there for a week. I had to, really. didn't have a choice. And, uh, did you uh, make any money? <laughs> did you make any money? Well, you know, they're quite picky, though, you know? <laughs> yeah, but you know you're he a said, Western blonde. He looks right? a lot like a man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It wasn't, it wasn't the long air. It took more than that. They are picky people. No, I, 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 I spent a week there because I was trying to procure my visas for the stands. And it wasn't the best area because brothels generally aren't. Well, not the sort I attend. And my bike was parked outside and chained to railings. And it had a cover on it. But it was there for a whole week. And not a problem. Nothing at all. And once, I actually, when I went downstairs to check on it, um, I thought, where the hell did I leave my keys? And I looked everywhere, and I'd left them in the ignition. <laughs> so I left the keys in the ignition of my bike outside the railings of a brothel, and it was still there in the morning. I don't think that would happen in London. <laughs> no. I guess we will um, we'll move into plugs, and um, I'm going to start with Sam. Sam, what do you have to plug? <laughs> oh, thanks for putting me up first on this. Oh, my pleasure. Um, well, I mean, I, I, I've just got to carry on from what I started, you know, when we started off the show with the, the talk about the audiobooks. Um, it's been great fun recording Tortillas to Totems. And I tell you what, you know, um, recording audiobooks is a really entertaining thing for me Hang to on, do. Sam, too. I don't think anyone's going to know what you're talking about because that first part won't be in here. That's be before we started going. So you really have to talk about the fact that you're actually <laughs> recording your, your latest book and it's right. taking you much longer than what it really should. Oh, sorry. No, you oh, thanks very much. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I'm here in Cambridge and I'm in the Kite studio. And for the last week and a half, we've been recording my fourth um, uh, motorcycle travel book, Tortillas to Totem, so that we can turn it into an audio book. And, you know, it's just so much fun doing something like this. Um, reading um, my books back in preparation um, for doing this, uh, that was really interesting too, because it just brought back loads and loads of memories. But when you're actually speaking it, and um, you're putting the, the, the fear into the situations and the humor into the situations. It, the situations, they just come really, really alive. Um, but I tell you what, Kite Studio, they're, they're very brave. Taking on somebody who's um, not a professional narrator, um, they've, they've been absolutely brilliant with, well, I mean, this is the fourth book now. Um, but the plug is, the new thing for me is that the audio books, the first three, are out in CD format now as well. So that normally they were just there for download. But I had so many people saying to me at the bike shows and things like that, presentations, um, can we buy them on CD? So we've just literally um, put them into CD format. And, um, yeah, it's, it's handy. People can walk away with. That's nice because you can take it into your vehicle and shove it into your vehicle CD player and listen while you drive. You don't put out your books, though, on tape, do you? No, not on tape. Uh, yeah, not on track. Nobody's not, not on tape. Um, 
I, I know a guy who's got an eight track player. <laughs> and funnily enough, you know what you were saying about um, uh, you know GPS and that sort of stuff um, and Bluetooth. Um, the biggest number of, of um, listeners to the audio books are in the states and Canada, um, mm. and I think that's just because you know so many long open roads with not an awful lot happening on them. Um, I hope nobody's trying to listen to them in cities because um, there are one or two things that happen which um, might make um, a driver throw a wobbly hey. <laughs> you mean while they're driving, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Okay, and of course the DVDs are available how? Um, they're, they're only available from my website, which is sam-manicum.com. Um, the download versions are available from um, Audible and from iTunes. Um, and literally, they just download. How long do you think you're going to be recording for now? You, you've been at it for, you said two weeks? A uh, week and a half. We finished today. Oh, you finished today? Oh. So I've, I literally came straight from the studio and three quarters of an hour before we started recording, um, I'd literally walked in from the studio. So, And I'm, I'm so pleased. My voice has survived. Because when you're talking nonstop um, pretty much every day for a week and a half, um, yeah, you start sounding a little bit gravelly. So... Uh, Shirley, what do you have for us? Well, I have to fess up that I have no, nothing to plug. Well, it's a thank you, isn't it? Yeah, I, I want to have um, say thank you to the people at the Adventure Travel Film Festival last weekend. Um, one of the films we screened there was Austin Vince's Mondo Enduro, and Austin, Austin did a media interview um, to promote it that was played at 3.30 in the morning here, yeah, totally live right, from yeah. England, and um, that was really funny. So Excellent. it was good to sort of have contact with lots of people like that. And I have to spend a, send a special cheerio to Clay and Craig, who are big fans of Adventure Rider Radio Raw, and came up and introduced themselves to us up at the festival. Um, it was, yeah, it was good fun and it was great to meet a lot of people who um, were interested in overlanding. We saw some great films. Um so for those of you who missed the Adventure Travel Film Festival in the Northern Hemisphere last year, make sure you get to it this year because they really do show some some fantastic films. Now, are you already looking to do it again next year? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, it'll be in England in August and then Scotland and it'll come to Australia in February of 2018, the same films. So it's um, there was one film we saw about a guy who did an overland journey um, in a four-wheel drive and went across Turkey and Iran on the back of a truck. So, <laughs> so I kind of thought he missed some of the best parts of the world by just seeing the highways in those countries. So you realise how lucky you are that you actually get to do a lot of these things without having to revert to the back of a truck. Shirley, did you get the chance to see um, the movie with the guys who um, went around the world in um, an old London bus? Because that was on the schedule, oh. wasn't it? Not only oh, yeah. did I met um, Richard Bob. King and Bob Hall came out here for the festival. So I did a radio interview with Bob, um, the two of us talking about the festival and then met Richard up in Bright. The film is hilarious and um, it, I'm sure you can pick it up. They have they had DVDs for sale. Pillock Conquers the World. It yeah. was just so funny. From what I remember from that interview that you did, you guys talked an awful lot about how to get your cat to move properly. Yeah, can you hear him? Hear who? Your cat? Is that your cat? <laughs> Is that the one you were talking about, He's buttering just... its feet or something? Yes. Did you listen to that online? Yeah. 
Uh, look, I did get a lot of good advice about how to move the cat when we moved to the country in a few weeks. And um, I also got some very good legal advice on the fact that I really shouldn't be um, digging the roses out of my front garden to take with me because they actually belong to the house. I got a kick out of that. So they're on the radio, surely saying, yeah, well, well, we've sold our house and we're just about to move out, but I'm stealing the flowers from the garden before we go. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and the, the, the person that you're with is saying, well, I don't think that's really, uh, that's allowed. And then I guess some people uh, sent text messages in as well saying, you can't do that. The um, the person who does that radio show, John Fain, is actually by trade a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> so how deep was this hole you dug yourself? Uh, it was deep. <laughs> <laughs> it was fairly deep. It was a lot of fun. A, a lot of fun. The interview. Uh, one of the other guests on the program was Christos Cholkos, who's written some fabulous books, um, The Slap and Barracuda. I don't know if The Slap's been published. They've all been published overseas. Whether you've read them. And he used to be an assistant vet nurse, so he had good advice for me too on how to get Joey into the into the box and up to our new home without too much grief. Of course, the cat is a Manx cat, so it has to be Joey after Joey Dunlop, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we're on to Graham. If, if he's managed to stay awake, did you set your alarm? No, yeah, set me alarm. Just been upstairs, put the electric blanket on, so everything's good. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, plugs, yes, so may not be on Facebook, didn't really go out much last year, but this year I am going to leave my Bulgarian paradise and I've got a couple oh. of shows booked uh, March the 19th is the Ace Cafe in London Adventureland, Overland Day Adventure, whatever it's called, whatever it is that we do again, adventure riding thing and um, it's, uh, it's, it's a really good show, it's more like a social event than anything else because everybody seems to come out of hibernation after winter and uh, there's a lot of familiar faces. Not many of them buy books, but it's just a really nice show. So Ace Cafe, oh, and a spectacular full English breakfast as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, so, I love uh, the full English uh, breakfast. Oh, yeah, and the Ace Cafe so good. breakfast. Yeah, the Ace Graham. Cafe is a good one as well. Graham, <laughs> do you do with... black pudding with yours, Graham? Do you you like can, pudding? yes. <laughs> you don't, you're not a black pudding person. Oh, no, I'm a black pudding person, yeah. I do black pudding, yeah, yeah. And the Ace Cafe Yum. does do black pudding on their full, full English breakfast. Graham, you're talking about this. Um, just by sheer luck, two weeks ago, I came across a whole load of photographs from about three years ago when we were both at the Ace Cafe. Um, what a cracking day that was. And you know where you said we, we don't sell that many books? It, it's just such a brilliant opportunity to be at a show and really talk with people, isn't it? Because normally at the big shows, you don't have time for proper conversations, do you? No, it's, it, I do enjoy it. And I mean, I, I got asked and I didn't go last year and I looked and I found return flights for about 28 euros and I can hire a car for eight euros a day, which is cheaper than trying to get a bus and a taxi from the airport. So I thought, you know what, I'm just going to do it. So Ace Cafe, 19th of March, going to be there. And I'm also going to be going to a thing called Horizons Unlimited UK. Yeah, <laughs> good on you, Graham. Uh, so I'm going to do that this year as well because I haven't been to Horizons for, well, there was a year, there was a fallow year. Then last year I didn't go. So I'm going to be at Horizons. So, yeah, two British shows I'm going to be doing this year, which I'm really looking forward to now. That'll be fun. Oh, and actually, no, I'm not going to mention that. Yeah, so there's those two things. That's cool. That's it? You don't have any other plans? <laughs> Maybe, you know, heading across the ocean or anything like that? Yeah, maybe, but I got a superstition about jinxing that stuff until it's absolutely... Right. Hey, uh, when you're at the Ace Cafe and you have all the people from all around England there talking, do you guys have trouble understanding each other? 
because I, I just saw a video <laughs> there's like 13 different accents. <laughs> no, what was that, not, Jim? There's way I, more than I, that. I, I didn't catch that, Jim. What was that? <laughs> you asked for that, Jim. I did. <laughs> yes, I'm afraid you did ask for that. So, Graham, if somebody wants to buy your books, your website is gramfield.co.uk. Am I right? That's what it is, gramfield.co.uk. Yeah, you said it just right. You see, yeah. he heard that. He heard that. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, the, once, it's, once I've decided, it's like, it's like when my Bulgarian teacher says something to me, and I was like, a little bit slower, a little bit slower, a little bit slower. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm okay. Thanks for asking. <laughs> <laughs> So the date on the on the hub beat you're going to be at? It's uh, right around the summer solstice, but I'm not exactly sure when it is. But I bet Grant knows. Hub UK, yes, that's coming up. Uh, mine's just gone blank, and it's all Graham's fault. <laughs> totally, it's always it's Graham's fault. It's all on the webpage. <laughs> yes, it's all on the webpage. It's June 15 to 18. The webcage. Is that, is that a new term cage. for you? Did I say cage? I think you said well, sometimes cage. Sometimes it feels like a cage. It keeps me busy, that's for sure. <laughs> so yeah, go to Horizons stuff. Unlimited slash events. And there's all kinds of stuff. So, Grant, what do you have for us? Well, I have a couple of new events. Speaking of events, how about Russia? Russia? Wow. Ooh. Russia is happening. The registration will be open by the time this is on the air. And uh, it's between Moscow and St. Petersburg in a national park, beautiful venue, lovely location, inviting lots of travelers to come to that meeting. It's going to be a good one. Fantastic. Very cool. Yeah. And some of you have already heard about Indonesia on the island of Sumbawa in Indonesia. How cool is that for a location? If you want to go to a cool meeting in a great location, that's going to be a good one. And we've got... Go ahead. Um, Nicole Espinosa is going over for that. That's the plan. Hey, and Norman, fantastic. And Norman McGowan will be there as well. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 got, and. He won't and, be camping that's not because all. he left his tent at my house. <laughs> 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 that's okay. We have a, a cabin already set aside for him. Not a problem. <laughs> and the plan currently is, assuming Ted can make it, Ted Simon will be there as well. Superb. Yeah, so that's going to be a good one. So between Russia and Indonesia... There's a couple of really exciting new locations for us. Those will be annual meetings going forward. And, of course, Switzerland, we've announced, I think, a while ago. Switzerland's in a beautiful location in the Swiss Alps, of course. Beautiful spot, so that's worth going to. Oh, lots of meetings, lots of happening. There's 25 events we've got this year. So that's, uh, we're very excited about that. That's, that's a, that's a, <laughs> it's a really scary number, I can tell you. How many are you going oh, to? Oh, my goodness. Uh, we're going to, I think, what, six or seven, something like that? I don't know. Uh, Susan's not sure. Um, we're trying to do less than we have done in the past. Uh, a couple of years ago, we did 32 long-haul flights. And uh, trust me, that was about 29 too many. Mm. It's just too hard. So we're trying to cut back a little bit. But uh, we've got lots of local organizers who really know what they're doing. They're excited. They're ready to go. So welcome. it should be fun. Very welcoming. Everybody's welcome at all of the events. And of course, that's all at horizonsunlimited.com forward slash yeah. events. Slash events. That's it. Uh, there's a couple other things I actually wanted to talk about too. Uh, Sam was talking about he's up bringing his books out on CD. Well, we're going from DVD to online. You can now download The, the Achievable Dream from vimeo.com slash horizonsunlimited. So Very all nice. of it will be available there right now. You can download and 
quick and easy. We've had, we sold many, many thousands of DVDs, uh, but people keep saying, can I just download it? And for a lot of countries, uh, like not Canada, USA, Australia, and UK and Europe, if you're anywhere else, getting the DVDs is a real pain in the neck. So download is now available. So that's that we're we're really excited about that. We think that's very cool. So the achievable so dream is how many videos? Uh, it's a total of seven discs. We do it in five boxes, but it's seven discs, and I think the total number of download files is fifteen. So you can pick or choose whatever you want. Fifteen. So, so do you buy it individually, or do you buy the whole thing? Now you can buy each individual piece. Trying to have each individual piece available for those who want to cherry pick and to have the whole thing available as one lump, and it's a nightmare. Um, one of the problems would be seven DVDs works out to about 100 and something gigabytes. That would be a large download for anybody anywhere. Yeah. So we're, it's all available individually. Wow, that's really neat. And of course, you're going to have a link on your website to that as well. Oh, yeah. Because you, be you said Vimeo, what is it again? Vimeo.com slash Horizons Unlimited. Okay, we'll put that link in the show notes as well. And that's available when? Now. Oh, wow. Great. Well, very good. Does anyone else oh, have it? I had one more thing. What was it? <laughs> Somebody's will push my luck today. The photo contest. The photo contest is now open for voting. So if you want to vote on the next year's calendar, the go to the hub, and it'll be in the photo forum. Go to our Facebook page and you can vote on your favorite photographs to come out in the calendar, which will be available approximately in May for 2018 calendar. Wow, I can't believe you're already working on 2018. I'm just looking at the 2017 calendar, which is spectacular, by the way. Good. Yeah, the worst of it is that we've got to have all the dates for 2018 events in that calendar, mm. which means we have to have all our 2018 events locked in as soon as possible. So that's a bit of work, but that's okay. The sooner we can get it word out and let people know that it's happening, they can plan these events on their trip. We've had a lot of travelers say to us over the years that they, they look at the events page and then they say, okay, where are we going to go and how many events can we hit on our way? We're going to South America, right? We've got to go to Viedma. We've got to go to Iguazu. Um, oh, Bolivia is now available and so forth. So figure out where you want to go and look at the calendar and say, hmm, what meetings can we get to? Very cool. Very nice. Well, I guess that wraps it up. So um, after show party, I'm, I'm going to say Graham's place because he's he's got an hour extra right now. We did this show recording <laughs> no, an hour early. Really <laughs> uh, wait longer. Come on, Graham. You're I've got to be here at 10 o'clock in the morning. Don't come around here. Wait, I'm going to bed. Said, I'm not going to get much. You said early. That's 10 <laughs> o'clock in the morning. You've got tons of time. I've got to be in Sofia at 10 o'clock in the morning and the tunnel's closed. So I've got a big diversion. Graham, my bottle of whiskey still got a lot of whiskey in it. That's what we'll do. We'll, we'll go see Grant and Susan in Panama. All right. Yeah, I need a new hat. Get, get, the, get the Balboa in, Grant. Throw another shrimp okay. on the Barbie. <laughs> Absolutely. Cheers, everyone. Thanks. Okay. Bye. 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 Bye, everybody.
Well, that wraps up ARR Raw for February 2017. Remember that you can listen to all the episodes of Raw and Adventure Rider Radio at www.adventureriderradio.com. And please drop by our Facebook page and like our page to show your support. And speaking of support, if you like what we're doing here and you want to help the show out, drop by our website and consider clicking on the donate button. If you send us $10, we're going to send you an official ARR sticker. If you donate $50 or more, you're going to hear your name mentioned here at the start of Raw at the next month. So please consider a donation to help out the show if you can. Our co-host websites and links are in the show notes, so drop by the website and check that out to have a look. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin. My name's Jim Martin. See you next month.